everybody. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 tonight. And also, I'm going to go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. So if you want to put a bookmark there as well. And the title tonight is Submission and Sensitivity. These are two important things that are required to make any relationship work, such as marriage, friendship, even business relationships. If someone is not sensitive to the other's needs, then he is selfish, which is the opposite of sensitive, and there will always be strife, contention, and a lack of trust. One biblical example that came to mind when I got this title was in Matthew, 1, chapter, Matthew chapter 1, and it was about Joseph and Mary. When uh, Joseph submitted to the command given by the angel of the Lord, which was to keep her and marry her. And at the same time, he was sensitive to Mary's needs and her feelings by doing the right thing and not making her a public example like it says in verse 19. He could have been selfish and just said, the kid is not my son, and moved on, but he didn't. He was sensitive to the situation, but more important, he was obedient to the command of the Lord. Then he put his feelings of others before his own, See, he wasn't selfish. And when two people commit to each other with a willingness to grow together, they will become sensitive to each other's needs, and they will submit to each other as equal partners, and their desire will only be for each other. Knowing they will both be better off and not against each other, they won't covet other things. And Hebrews 13.5 says they will be content with each other. At the beginning of our marriage... Even though Val knew her role in the relationship, I didn't respect my role. I was selfish and greedy, insensitive at times, so I suppose, I suppose the Holy Spirit intended this message for me first and then for everybody else. But this went on for many years, 23 years, I think, before I came to know Jesus. And the first thing that Christ showed me in my life was I'm not the master, I'm not the boss, Everything isn't mine, but it's ours together. I learned I'm supposed to be a servant to God first, then my wife, and lastly, myself. Now I realize that everything together is ours together, not just mine. Once we both became submissive to God first, and then each other, God gets the glory for for reconciling a broken marriage. And we'll see why. Let's get into our text in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they, res- when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, in verse 2. The word likewise refers back to chapter 2, where Peter's talking about being submissive to government and also being submissive to your master, or nowadays your boss. Romans, Romans 13 says basically be submissive to all authority. Peter's addressing this particular part about submission to the wives. But it's more than just submitting to certain people who you must be subject to. It's about being a servant to all. It's about learning to deny yourself simple things in order to please others. It won't hurt you to be nice to everybody, even those you don't feel like you should be nice to. 
They say it's easier to smile than to frown. Jesus showed that submission is important by being willing to forsake everything for others. First, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Then he forsook his earthly life for our sins, and he submitted himself to the cross. His disciples disciples forsook their jobs, their possessions, and even their families. Then they submitted their life to serving Jesus, and even serving people who they probably wouldn't have served before Jesus called them. Let's read the book of Acts. It could very well be called the book of the Acts of the Submission of the Apostles, because it is filled with the service that they did. Paul also taught on the issue of submission in his letters to the Corinthians and the Ephesians. So this was important enough for the Holy Spirit thought it should be discussed throughout the entire early church. Then Peter clarifies in this verse to be, for the wives to be submissive to their own husbands, meaning to remain faithful and, re, and to remain married. And he gives a reason, he says in verse 1 and 2, that even if some do not obey the word, you can win them over with your chaste conduct. Peter's implying here that there were women in the early church who had non-believing husbands, and for them to remain faithful and submissive to them with the chance that they might become a believing Christian through her conduct. Because in these times, a family usually, usually followed whatever religion the father did. So for a wife to be a Christian apart for her, from her husband could be a difficult situation for her. Then he refers to her chaste conduct that is accompanied by fear in verse 2. And this fear, this isn't like a scared or afraid fear, but the Greek word here is phobos, meaning a reverent respect for the Lord, putting God first and obeying his word. When I was first asked to teach on this section, I was blown away because I refer to this section often to describe how my marriage was saved by these two simple verses. They also describe how I came to know Jesus and save my broken marriage at the same time. But note the order. First, I had to come to know Jesus. Even though Val never preached to me, for five years she came here faithfully without me every week. We were unequally yoked for a time. While I sat home, probably getting wasted, watching baseball, I had no idea that this church was praying for me and for us. Her chaste conduct was the godly example that Peter speaks about here that I needed. Chaste conduct means to remain undefiled, free from blemish, free from obscenity, pure and respectable. This was my wife and the Lord, and I was the opposite. But the Lord gave her patience and guidance. She was guided to the right person in this church by the Holy Spirit to help fix our situation, and in turn, that brought me to this church, which brought me to salvation. See, first, we were reconciled to God. Then God reconciled us to each other. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen, God says, I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit in them, and I'll take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Now, by context, this was a promise written to the scattered Israelites. But if God can do it for them, he is omnipotent 
and he can do it for us also. And I believe that because he did it for me. See, it's very important when a marriage is having issues to go to the right people for help and advice. And I noticed family and friends' advice will usually be one-sided, which isn't going to be fair or helpful. Why? Family's a strong bond. They will stick together, and they should stick up for their own. And they'll usually take the side. However, this usually just throws more coal on the fire. That's why it's best to get good godly advice that's biblical and unbiased. And I'm glad that's what Val did. Because since then, it's like we've been remarried in the Lord. Our relationship is different in ways I can't even explain. So like I said, any broken relationship should reconcile with God first, then each other. Now before I continue in our text about submission, I want to clarify that we all submit to someone at some point in our life. And, and uh, to see that, let's, if you guys don't mind turning to Ephesians chapter 5, but keep your, thing on, keep your hand on where we're at because we'll come right back to it. Verses 22 and through 31 I'll read kind of quick. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, the same as Peter says, but here Paul adds, as to the Lord. Meaning with the same reverence that a wife submits to the Lord, she should submit, she should submit to her husband. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, and also, the Christ, and also Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body, which I just kind of talked about. This verse implies there should be one leader, and God appointed the husband to be the head in this particular union. Because if everyone's a leader, there will be nothing but strife and conflict. Each person has a specific role and specific gifts given by the Holy Spirit to make it all work. And each person should respect each other's roles and their own roles. And the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts and these roles so there's no lack. Then Paul talks about mutual respect and submission in the following verses, starting in verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And to get the full context from Paul, I'll read all the way to verse 31, because if you didn't notice... Our text in 1 Peter only has, has six verses to the wives and only one verse to the husbands. So I found that Paul covers them here in a little bit more detail. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? That he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present to her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he, she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church or his bride. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31 says, for, a reason, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh. And that's from Genesis 2.24. Now let's go back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Peter says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, 
or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. That word merrily means, in verse 3, means only, but it's in a negative term, as in don't let your adornment be only outward, but also let the inward qualities overpower the outward appearance. Say that again. Let the inward qualities overpower the outward appearance. Peter's not saying to stop taking care of yourselves. He's not saying to stop wearing makeup and jewelry and nice clothes. But remember this. Men are easy to get, but hard to keep. And I say this because I used to watch a lot of Jerry Springer in the break room at my old job. <laughs> but he's going on. He's, he's, he's saying to go beyond looking nice to actually being nice, and that shows her inner character. He's also warning them not to dress in a way that they're a distraction, but to dress moderately, acceptable to all. And this goes back to verse 2, talking about her chaste conduct, and verse 4, the incorruptible inner beauty, or her silent behavior. Also remember, clothing and makeup change and fade away, but this inner spirit that God puts in her is eternal and precious on earth and in God's eyes. Remember, God sees and knows our inner heart and our thoughts. So when they are chased, God is pleased, it says at the end of verse 4. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Let's go to verse 5 and 6. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you would do good, and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah's the example here. She respected Abraham as the head of the household. She knew her role as the homemaker, and she submitted herself to Abraham. She called him Lord in Genesis 18.12. Not to worship him, but as a term of respect for him. See, marriage is a covenant given by God for every man and woman to enter into willingly, knowing their role beforehand. A covenant is unchangeable. But a contract is earthly, and it can be amended. It's like the marriage contract of today. Anybody can marry anybody. I'll just leave that alone. But nowadays, many couples have switched roles in the house or combined them, and that's okay as long as it works for them, and it's mutual and not one-sided. For example, many women work nowadays, and many men stay home or work from home or work closer to home. When this situation arises, the woman shouldn't be expected to keep her full role as a homemaker, but the husband should be able to help out if he's closer to home and he's there more. See, running a house or a business with a partner should be an equal responsibility. A husband and wife should work together to work it out and be sensitive to the situation. Then verse 6 says, The daughters of Sarah are those who do good. Meaning following her example, which we just talked about. The end of verse 6 
whose daughters you are if you are not afraid with any terror, it says. And that's the New King James Version. I looked at six different Bible versions at this quote, and believe it or not, I got six different renderings. I'll save you the trouble of buying six different Bibles. They're here now. The King James Version, well, the New King James Version we read says, are not afraid with any terror. King James Version says, are not afraid with any amazement. The English Standard Version says, do not fear anything that is frightening. The New International Version says, do not give way to fear. The Christian Standard Bible says, do not fear any intimidation. And the New Living Translation says, do not fear what your husband might do. In all these different words, fear, terror, frightening, intimidation, amazement, they're all different than the word used for fear in verse 2, which was the word, Greek word phobos, a reverence for the Lord. This is a frightening, this, is, this word is uh, the Greek word toesis, meaning a frightening fear, like being scared or afraid. This is implying that a woman should be married willingly and not forced into a marriage, which was probably common in that day, and I'm probably, probably still common in culture, some cultures today. Prearranged marriages are not always equally yoked, and they can be abusive. That's why we enter into contracts willingly, not forced or coerced, where both sides agree. I think Jesus and Paul and Peter were probably entrepreneurs in their time to start allowing women and suggest to start allowing women rights and suggesting for husbands to treat them as equal partners in the relationship. We should be equal partners in the relationship, and we should treat each other as equal. Once again, Genesis 2.24, the two become one flesh. And not only are they joined together as one flesh, but in verse 7, Peter says that they will be heirs together in the grace of life. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together in the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And I think it's important to note, it is important to note, these aren't the same husbands that Peter's referencing in verses 1 and 2. Those were unbelieving husbands. But this is to the Christian married men in the church. This is to the, the believing men. Peter's reminding these Christian men to treat their wives with respect and compassion and honor them which they definitely deserve. The word likewise here refers to what was said to the Christian wives in verses 1 through 6. It applies to the Christian husbands as well, which we talked about in Ephesians chapter 5. Remember, marriage is a union, meaning two literally, two literally become joined together as one, or as God puts it, two become one flesh. So dwell with her with the same unselfish spirit that's expected of all Christians to all people. To dwell with them with understanding, as we continue on in the verse, the King James Version says, with all knowledge. And I like that better, because this means knowledge of your wife. You should know your wife. And I know this takes time. I'm still learning. But the more intimate knowledge you have about your wife, the more you can come be cash, become compassionate to her needs which is probably one of the most important traits for a husband to have. After being married for many years, I'm sorry, after being married for many, many years, 
I'm finally able to realize that my wife likes it when I do things for her that she didn't ask me to do. Or when I do things that she did ask me to do. <laughs> See, a wife spends all of her time anticipating the needs of her family. This is a gift given by God to wives and mothers for the benefit of the family as a unit. This is one reason we're to honor her. Guys think that just because they bring home the paycheck that they control the family. That's not so. Without the thinking and foreknowledge of the woman, the house would fall apart. Even though the husband is the head of the household, he should respect the woman's role in the family and how important that is. And that's what Peter's saying here. I learned a lot about the Proverbs 31 woman this month while doing sound for the ladies' fellowship and also for the Mother's Day lunch, luncheon. That was such a blessing just to be, to be here. So I studied it, and I found it relevant, and I've condensed it since it's 19 verses long. I'm going to paraphrase the Proverbs 31 woman starting in Proverbs 31 verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She brings food from afar. She rises while it's still night and provides for her household. She considers things and buys them. She girds herself with strength. She perceives her merchandise as good, and her lamp does not go out at night. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she still has time and compassion to reach out to the needy. Strength and honor are her clothing. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And because of all this, her children should call her blessed, and her husband should also praise her. Guys, this is why we give honor to the wife. One study Bible I read said simply, give honor to the wife, give honor to the wife simply because she deserves it with no further interpretation. The book of James is like a mirror to our true self. And I realize that this Proverbs 31 is kind of like that. It's a study guide that all husbands should get to know in order to fully understand what a wife does in order to keep family structure and apply it to ourselves to become more sensitive to her needs that she willingly puts aside for the family. This is what it means to dwell with her with understanding having knowledge of her inner desires and her needs that get neglected and being sensitive to that by doing the things that please her and help her out. And by doing this, it's pleasing to God as well. But Peter also mentions her as the weaker vessel. Why does he mention this? I mentioned abusive relationships earlier, and I think this is saying to the men not to bully their wives. Or make her think that he has more authority to abuse her just because she can't fight back because of a physical indifference and because he's the head of the house. But because of this physical indifference, he should be there to strengthen her and lift her up and treat her like an equal and do all he can to protect her and keep her safe and secure and, take and not take advantage of her. A wife should feel safe and secure with her husband not scared and afraid. Remember, the two became one flesh. And know this, a divided house cannot stand. 
So Jesus said, if Satan casts out Satan, he's against himself. Therefore, if a husband abuses his wife, he's abusing his own other half. Then technically, he's against himself. The next part of verse 7 in our text says, As being heirs together of the grace of life. This phrase is meant for the believing Christian couples. As a couple who became one, we share the daily grace that God gives us together. We both get an equal share of grace, and it's ours together. God has set aside a portion for us, and He wants us to share in His grace. He wants to bless us in our marriage. Why? It's His institution. He chose for us to be together even before we knew each other. And if this was from God, it will not fail. His word does not come back void. If God has determined it, it will get accomplished. But this in no way guarantees a perfect marriage. Remember, God gave us free will, which means we are free to make our own choices. And that's where we fail. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time of peace and a time of war. And this is especially true in marriage. There will be happy times, sad times, good times and bad times. But this will strengthen any marriage that gets through the tough times. I know because we've been there. And know this, it's common for married couples after a fight to come together, forgive each other, and make up. It's also God intended for us. This is His grace. He will bless our marriage with grace, forgiving us when we come to Him and admitting we failed. He will bless our marriage with love. He will bless our marriage with children. Remember in Ezekiel, God said He can give us a new heart of flesh, which will help us to become one with our partner by being compassionate and sensitive to each other's needs. This constitutes a happy, successful marriage, being at one with God first and then with each other. Val and I were equally yoked when we first got married, but we were yoked together in the world without God. And for 23 years we went on like that, thinking it was fine. We lived for the world so much and not so much for God and not or each other. And there's many people even in the church today that are unequally yoked. And that's what Peter was talking about in verses 1 and 2. But what a difference in our marriage since we both became equally yoked in the Lord. God renewed our relationship. And once we both submitted to Him, we became much more sensitive to each other's needs and desires. And also what God desires for our marriage such as denying ourselves to each other, prayer, and serving Him. See, a marriage should reflect godly principles, and the couple should glorify God by the way that they live and interact, especially around others. See, we are His witnesses. And a little side note I put in here. One thing me and Val do together that I wouldn't mind recommending to you 
we take communion together on the anniversary date of our month, of our, on the 23rd of each month, which is our anniversary date. We have a little communion kit, and we take, it, we take communion together with the Lord on the 23rd of each month. It's just one of these things that we do together to include the Lord in our marriage. And Peter concludes this verse with a reason to dwell with your wife with understanding, to give honor to her as the weaker vessel, and to share the grace of life with her that God gives you together. And that reason is so that your prayers may not be hindered, it says at the end of verse 7. See, a man's position with God will affect his relationship with his wife also. When a man has a strong, steady, steady prayer life, that means he's in communication with God and probably in God's will for the family. God will hear the prayers of a spiritual man. This will show in his walk, not only in his private life at home with his family, but also in public with his family. How he treats them, how he reacts with them. How often do you see a man open the door for his wife? Or see a man open the door for any woman anymore? It's a rarity. In conclusion, it takes submission from both to make any marriage work. Jesus submitted to the cross, even to death, for us, his bride. In return, the church, us, are to submit the rest of our lives to serving him first, our spouse second, then any others, including our children, and lastly, ourselves. All Christians are to willingly submit to Christ first, as we read in Ephesians 5.23, acknowledging him as the head of the church. Just as Peter says, wives are to acknowledge the husband as the head of the house. But keep in mind, it's to be a mutual agreement between both. Just as we all came to Christ willingly, we all became the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ by our own choice. Val and I were not as one like God intended for us to be until we both learned to submit to each other's needs and be sensitive to them. We didn't learn that until we both first submitted our lives to Christ. Remember, he gave us a new heart of flesh. A couple that is on the same page or equally yoked will be happy and successful. They became one flesh. Some commentators say it can take a lifetime to get to know your spouse completely. So spend as much time together as possible. Learn the little things that make them happy. And also learn what makes them unhappy. And don't do those things. Learn to anticipate their needs beforehand. Try to be one step ahead. Why? It simply shows them that you are thinking about them instead of yourself. It's about denying yourself for others. Being sensitive to the needs of others above yourself. And I'll close with this verse from Ephesians 5.33, which sums it up for both. Nevertheless, Paul says, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for allowing us this time together once again, Lord. For just, we thank you for all the marriages and that you bless them that are here tonight, Lord. We pray that you go before us in our marriages and guide our paths and our ways, our actions and our thoughts, Lord. We give our marriages to you.
We put, it, we put them in your hands, Lord. You are in control, but you give us free will, Lord, and help us to contain our free will. Help us to be sensitive to each other's needs, Lord. Help us to submit when that's the best thing to do for us, and help us to grow together constantly, Lord. Just, we should be growing together every day, Lord. Not only between ourselves, but with you as well, Lord. So we love you, and we ask that you bless our time together, Lord. And I also want to pray for the food, Lord, that we're going to have later. Lord, I pray that you bless that food. We thank you for it, and we ask that you bless our time of fellowship together, that our fellowship and our word is biblical and, God, and godly not, and not wordly, Lord. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We will have uh, food will be outside after the last song. I had some notes somewhere. Uh, we'll have food and fellowship outside, and Larry wanted me to announce June 24th will be the next meeting here, and we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, and the title of that is going to be Obligated to one another. Amen. Bless you guys.